0: Hello my friends, this is Nikki. Welcome to episode 33 of Learning About the Lord. Today we're going to see how Jesus meets up with Simon Zelot, Judas Iscariot, and Thomas. We are reading from the Poem of the Man-God, Volume 1, Maria Valtorta. We begin with Jesus, he's walking with his six disciples, and he meets a man who is all muffled up and is leaning against the rustic wall supporting a terrace when he sees Jesus approaching him he shouts go back back have mercy on me and he uncovers his trunk dropping his tunic to the ground if his face is covered with scabs his trunk is one big sore some of the sores have already become deep wounds some are like burns some are white and glossy "'as if there was a thin white pane of glass on them. "'Are you a leper?' asks Jesus. "'What do you want of me?' "'Don't curse me,' cries the man. "'Don't stone me. "'I have been told that the other evening "'you revealed yourself as the voice of God "'and the bearer of grace. "'I was also told that you gave assurance "'that by raising your sign "'you will cure all diseases.' Please, raise it on me. This is Simon Zealot talking to the Lord. Have mercy on me, he says again. And as Jesus begins to approach him, he cries out, Don't come nearer, don't, I am infected. But Jesus proceeds. He looks at him so mercifully that the man starts crying and kneels down almost touching the ground with his face, moaning, "Your sign, your sign!" Now, when Jesus had talked about his sign, he was talking about the crucifix, and the cross, obviously is our symbol of Christianity, of Jesus' redemption for mankind and his resurrection. Simon Zelot doesn't know this? He calls out to Jesus, "Your sign, your sign!" And Jesus answers, It will be raised when it is time. But now I say to you, Stand up, be healed, I want it, and be the sign in this town that must recognize me. Rise, I say, and do not sin out of gratitude to God. The man rises slowly, and he is healed. He looks at himself in the last dim light of the day. He is healed. He shouts, I am clean, oh, what shall I do for you now? You must comply with the law, says Jesus. Go to the priest, be good in future, go. The man is on the point of throwing himself at Jesus' feet, but he remembers he is still impure, according to the law, and he restrains himself. But he kisses his own hand and throws a kiss to Jesus and weeps. He weeps out of joy. The apostles are dumbfounded. Jesus turns away from the healed man and rouses them, smiling. My friends, it was only a leprosy of the flesh, but you will see leprosy fall from hearts. Is it you that wanted me? He asks two strangers. Here I am. Who are you? Now the two strangers are Judas Iscariot and Thomas. Judas Iscariot answers, and he says, we heard you the other evening in the temple. We looked for you in town. A man who said he is a relative of yours told us you stay here. Why are you looking for me? asks Jesus. To follow you, says Judas, if you will allow us, because you have words of truth. Follow me, says Jesus, but do you know where I am going? And of course he is referring to the road to cavalry. No, Master, says Judas, but certainly to glory. Yes, says Jesus, but not to a glory of this world. I am going to a glory which is in heaven and is conquered by virtue and sacrifice. Why do you want to follow me? he asks again. To take part in your glory, says Judas Iscariot. According to heaven? asks Jesus. Yes, according to heaven, answers Judas. Not everybody is able to arrive there, answers Jesus. He knows who Judas is. He knows that Judas will never carry the virtues of the Christian, will never understand Jesus' true mission, and will never enter heaven. Not everyone is able to arrive there because Satan lays more snares for those yearning for heaven than for the others. And only he who has strong willpower Can resist. Why follow me if to follow me implies a continuous struggle against the enemy which is in us, against the hostile world, and against the enemy who is Satan? And Judas Iscariot answers Because that is the desire of our souls which have been conquered by you. You are holy and powerful. We want to be your friends. Friends, Jesus says. He is silent and he sighs. Then he stares at the one who has spoken all the time. He is Judas of Carioth, that is, Judas Iscariot. Who are you? he says. You speak better than a man of the people. I am Judas, the son of Simon. I come from Carioth, but I am of the temple. I am waiting for and dreaming of the King of the Jews. I heard you speak like a king. I saw your kingly gestures. Take me with you. Take you? says Jesus. Now? At once? No. But why not, Master? Because it is better to examine ourselves carefully before venturing on very steep roads. So Jesus is telling Judas that he must examine himself to see what is motivating him to follow Jesus. He knows there will be difficult challenges to overcome. He wants Judas to think about what he hopes to achieve out of his relationship with Jesus. Judas Iscariot has his own agenda. He is not one like the others who is simple and humble of mind and who strive to become virtuous, who are there to learn from Jesus. He has his own agenda as to what he wants Jesus to be and what he wants to be, what glory he can gain reflected off of Jesus and onto himself, powerful, kingly. So Jesus tells him no. And Judas answers, do you not believe that I am sincere? And Jesus says, you have said it. I believe in your impulsiveness, but I do not believe in your perseverance. Think about it, Judas. I am going away now. I will be back for Pentecost. If you are in the temple, you will see me. Examine yourself. And who are you? He asks the other man. I am another one who saw you. I would like to be with you, but now I am frightened. This is Thomas. And Jesus says, No, presumption ruins people. Fear may be an impediment, but it is a help." When it originates from humility. Do not be afraid. Think about it too. And when I come back, Master, you are so holy, says Thomas. I am afraid of not being worthy. Nothing else, because I do not doubt my love. What is your name? asks Jesus. Thomas of Didymus. I will remember your name. Go in peace. Jesus dismisses them and he goes into a hospitable house for supper. The six disciples who are with him want to know many things. Why, Master, why did you treat them differently? Because there was a difference. Both of them had the same impulsiveness, asks John. My friend, says Jesus, also the same impulsiveness may have a different taste and bring about a different effect. They both certainly had the same impulsiveness but they were not the same in their purposes. And the one who appears less perfect is in fact more perfect because he has no incentive to human glory. He loves me because he loves me. As do I, as do I, say all the other apostles. I know, says Jesus, I know you for what you are. Are we therefore perfect? they ask. Oh, no, says Jesus, but like Thomas, you will become perfect if you persevere in your desire to love. Perfect, all my friends, and who is perfect but God? You are, they say. And Jesus answers, I solemnly tell you that I am not perfect by myself. If you think I am a prophet, no man is perfect, but I am perfect because he who is speaking to you is the word of the Father, part of God, his thought that becomes word. I have perfection in myself, and you must believe me to be such if you believe that I am the word of the Father. And yet, see, my friends, I want to be called the Son of Man, because I lower myself, taking upon myself all the miseries of man, to bear them as my first scaffold, and cancel them, after bearing them without suffering from them myself. Now when Jesus says without suffering from them myself, he means he does not commit the sins himself. He is pure, but he is taking on our sins and bearing our sins all the way to the cross. What a burden, says Jesus. My friends, but I bear it with joy. It is a joy for me to bear it, because since I am the son of mankind, I will make mankind once again the child of God, as it was on the first day. So Jesus is saying that he is the word of God. He will teach us how to be virtuous and steady and perseverant on our road to heaven. Jesus is speaking very gently, sitting at the table master asks one of the apostles why did your cousin not come although he knows where you live my peter you will be one of my stones the first one but not all the stones can be easily used have you seen the marble blocks in the praetorium building with hard labor they have been torn away from the bosom of the mountainside, and are now part of the praetorium look instead at those stones down there shining in the moonlight In the water of the Kidron. They arrive in the riverbed by themselves, and if anyone wants to take them, they do not put up any resistance. My cousin is like the first stones I am speaking of. The bosom of the mountainside, his family, they contend for him with me. So Jesus is explaining that his cousin is not fully free to join him because his family is holding him back. But I want to be exactly like the stones in the torrent, says Peter. I am quite prepared to leave everything for you. Home, wife, fishing, brothers, everything, Rabboni, for you. I know, Peter, says Jesus. That is why I love you. Also my cousin Judah will come. Judah? Judas of Kerioth? asks Peter. I don't care for him. He's confused. He thinks that Jesus is referring to Judas. "'I don't care for him,' says Peter. "'He is a dandy young man, but I prefer myself.' "'And they all laugh at Peter's witty remark. "'There is nothing to laugh at,' says Peter. "'I mean that I prefer a sincere Galilean, a rough fisherman, "'but without any fraud to townsfolk who, well, I don't know, "'the master knows what I mean to say.' "'Yes,' says Jesus, "'I know, but do not judge.' We need one another in this world. The good are mixed with the wicked, just like flowers in a field. Hemlock grows beside the salutary mallow. I would like to ask one thing, says Andrew. John told me about the miracle you worked at Cana. We were hoping so much that you would work one at Capernaum, and you said that you would not work any miracles before fulfilling the law. Why Cana, then? And why here and not in your own fatherland? And Jesus answers, To obey the law is to be united to God, and that increases our capabilities. When he's talking about the law, he's also talking about the Ten Commandments. To follow the Ten Commandments is to be united to God. It's simple. God gave us the laws by which he wishes us to live. So by living those laws, we are close to God. Jesus continues, A miracle is the proof of the union with God, as well as of God's benevolent and assenting presence. That is why I wanted to perform my duty as an Israelite before starting the series of miracles. And then the apostles say, But you are not bound to fulfill the law. And Jesus says, Why? As the Son of God I was not, but as the Son of the law, yes. I was. For the time being, Israel knows me only as such, and even later, almost everyone in Israel will know me as such, nay, even less. But I do not want to scandalize Israel, and therefore I obey the law. You are holy, say the apostles. And Jesus answers, Holiness does not bar obedience, nay, it makes obedience perfect. Besides everything else, there is a good example to be given. What would you say of a father, of an elder brother, of a teacher, of a priest who did not give good examples? And what about Cana? asks Andrew. Cana was to make my mother happy, says Jesus. Cana is the advance due to my mother. She anticipates grace. Here I honor the holy city, making her, in public, the starting point of my power as Messiah. But there, at Cana, I paid honor to the Holy Mother of God, full of grace. The world received me through her. It is only fair that my first miracle in the world should be for her. There is a knocking at the door. It is Thomas once again. He goes in and throws himself at Jesus' feet. "'Master, I cannot wait until you come back. "'Let me come with you. "'I am full of faults, but I have my love, "'my only real great treasure. "'It is yours. It's for you. "'Let me come, Master.' Jesus lays his hand on Thomas's head. "'You may stay, Thomas of Didymus. "'Follow me. "'Blessed are those who are sincere "'and persistent in their will. "'You are all blessed.' You are more than relatives to me, because you are my children and my brothers, not according to blood that dies, but according to the will of God and to your spiritual wishes. Now I tell you that I have no closer relative than those who do the will of my Father, and you do it, because you want what is good. Jesus says, Make room for Thomas at the table. We will each of us give something to our brother to eat. Jesus gives him the portion of cheese he had in front of him. He explains to Thomas, We are poor and our supper is almost over, but there is so much heart in who offers. And he says to John, who was sitting beside him, Give your seat to our friend. John gets up at once and sits down at the end of the table near the landlord. Sit down, Thomas, and eat, says Jesus. And then he says to them all, You will always behave like that, my friends, according to the law of charity. A pilgrim is already protected by the law of God, but now, in my name, you must love him even more. When anyone asks you for some bread, a drop of water, or a shelter in the name of God, you must give it in the same name, and you will receive your reward from God. You must behave so with everybody, even with your enemies, And that is the new law. Up until now you were told, Love those who love you and hate your enemies. And I say, Love also those who hate you. Oh, if you only knew how much you will be loved by God, if you love as I am telling you. And when anyone says, I want to be your companion in serving the true Lord God and following his Lamb, then he must be dearer to you than a brother by blood because you will be joined by an eternal bond the bond of christ but what if someone is not sincere asks peter it is easy to say i want to do this or that but words do not always correspond to the truth peter listen says jesus what you say is sensible and fair but see it is better to exceed in bounty and trust Rather than exceed in distrust and hardness, if you help an undeserving person, what harm will befall you? None nay, God's reward will always be active for you, whereas the person will be guilty of betraying your trust. No harm, hey says Peter, very often, a worthless person is not satisfied with ingratitude but goes much further, even to the extreme of ruining one's reputation wealth and one's very life that is true says Jesus but would that diminish your merit no it would not even if the whole world should believe slander even if you became poorer than job even if the cruel person should take your life what would change in the eyes of God nothing nay something would change but to your advantage God to the merits of your bounty would add the merits of your intellectual, financial, and physical martyrdom. All right, says Peter, perhaps it is so. Then Jesus addresses Thomas. My friend, before in the olive grove I said to you, when I come back here, if you are still willing, you will be one of my disciples. Now I say to you, are you willing to do Jesus a favor? Most certainly, answers Thomas. And if this favor should cost you some sacrifice? There is no sacrifice in serving you, Lord. What is it you want? Jesus says, Listen. Tomorrow at daybreak the leper will leave the sepulcher to find someone who will inform the priest. You will be the first to go to the sepulchers. It is charity. And you will shout, Come out, you, the one who was cleansed yesterday. I have been sent by Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of Israel, he who cleansed you. Let the world of the living dead know my name. Let them throb with hope, and let those come to me who will have faith in addition to hope that I may heal them. It is the first form of purity that I am bringing, the first form of the resurrection of which I am the Lord. One day I will grant a greater purity. One day the sealed tombs will violently expel those who are really dead, and they will appear and laugh with their empty eye sockets, with their bare jaws because of the rejoicing of the souls freed from limbo, a remote rejoicing, and yet perceived even by skeletons. They will appear to laugh because of this liberation, and to throb knowing it is due to... And then Jesus pauses and doesn't answer the rest. And then he says, go, he will come to you. You will do what he asks you to do. You will assist him in everything as if he were your brother. And you will also say to him, when you are completely purified, we will go together along the road of the river beyond Daco and Ephraim. Jesus, the master, will be waiting for us to tell us in what we have to serve him. I will do that, says Thomas, and what about the other one? Who, the Iscariot? Yes, Master. The advice I gave him still stands. Let him decide by himself, and let him take a long time. Nay, he said, avoid seeing him. So note here that Judas Iscariot has never been chosen by Jesus. The Iscariot chooses to follow Jesus, but it's never the other way around. Jesus chose every one of his other apostles. He called them to him, but Judas, he he tried to hold off at bay, at least for a while. "'I will be with the leper,' says Thomas. Only lepers wander about in the valley of the sepulchres, and those who pitifully are in touch with them.' Peter mumbles something, and Jesus hears him. "'What is the matter with you, Peter?' You either grumble or are silent. You seem to be discontented. Why? And Peter says, I am discontented. We were the first, and you did not work a miracle for us. We were the first, and you let a stranger sit beside you. We were the first, and you entrust him, not us, with a task. We were the first, and, and, yes, we seem to be the last ones." Why are you going to wait for them on the road near the river? Certainly to entrust them with some mission. Why them and not us? Jesus looks at Peter. He is not angry. He smiles as one smiles at a child. He gets up and goes slowly over to Peter and says to him, Peter, Peter, you are a big old baby. Peter, he says, you think I am being unfair, but I am not. On the contrary, it is proof that I know what you are worth. Look, who needs proofs? He who is not yet certain. I knew you were so certain about me that I did not feel any need to give you evidence of my power. Proofs are required here in Jerusalem, where vices, irreligiousness, politics, and many worldly things dim souls to such an extent that they can no longer see the light passing by. But up there on our beautiful lake, so clear under a clear sky, amongst honest and good-willing people, no proof is required. You will have miracles. I will pour torrents of graces upon you. But consider how I valued you. I took you without exacting any proof and without finding it necessary to give you any because I know who you are. You are dear to me, so dear and so faithful. And Peter cheers up and he says, Forgive me, Jesus. Yes, says Jesus, I forgive you because your sulkiness is a sign of love. But do not be envious any more, Simon Peter. Do you know what the heart of your Jesus is? Have you ever seen the sea, the real sea? You have? Well, my heart is bigger than the immense sea, and there is room for everybody, for the whole of mankind, and the smallest person has a place exactly as the greatest, and a sinner finds love just like an innocent. I am entrusting these with a mission, certainly. Do you want to forbid me? I chose you. You did not choose yourselves. I am therefore free to decide how I want to employ you. And if I leave them here with a mission, which might well be a test, as the lapse of time granted to the Iscariot may be due to mercy, can you reproach me? How do you know that I am not keeping a greater mission for you? And is not the nicest mission to be told, You will come with me? It is true, says Peter. I AM A BLOCKHEAD! FORGIVE ME! YES, I FORGIVE EVERYTHING, SAYS JESUS. O oh, PETER, BUT I BEG YOU ALL NEVER TO DISCUSS MERITS AND POSITIONS. I COULD HAVE BEEN BORN A KING. I WAS BORN POOR IN A STABLE. I COULD HAVE BEEN RICH. I LIVED WITH MY WORK, AND NOW I LIVE OUT OF CHARITY. AND YET, BELIEVE ME, MY FRIENDS, THERE IS NO ONE GREATER THAN I In the eyes of God, greater than I am, who am here, the servant of man. You, a servant, never, says Peter. Why not, Peter? Because I will serve you. And Jesus says, Even if you served me as a mother serves her child, I have come to serve man. I will be a savior for him. What service is there like that? Oh, Master, says Peter, you explain everything, and what seemed dark becomes clear at once. So today we saw the personalities and characteristics of of several of Jesus' apostles. We saw Simon Zelot, who was covered in leprosy, who had great faith in the Lord to be cured and healed, and then devoted his life to be Jesus's Apostle. We saw Thomas who exhibited love and perseverance and even when Jesus said to him take time to think about whether or not you want to join me he couldn't wait he came running back and said my heart is full of love for you and only you Lord I want to follow you. We saw Judas Iscariot whose interest was in glory and power and whom Jesus sent away and who stayed away and we saw Judah of Alpheus, Jesus' cousin who has not yet joined the Apostles because he's pulled in opposite directions by his family and we even saw Peter who with his love and desire to be loved in return by Jesus, grumbled and moaned about his position and about why he didn't get given uh, a mission and why he wasn't the one to see the miracles. And uh, Jesus reassured him and said, "Peter, you have great faith. You are my rock. I don't need to prove anything to you, and that in itself is greatness." And we also saw. Jesus talking about his role here on earth as a servant, as the Word of God. He serves God by bringing God's Word to us, and he serves mankind by teaching us God's words. And the words are to teach us how to live a true life in God, and he serves his purpose, his mission, unto his death. So I want to thank you for joining me today for episode 33 of Learning About the Lord. Please come back for episode 34, Go With God.